0: I'm here as a guest to respect your space and to offer whatever I can.
1: Oh my gosh, well, yeah, I got you. I'm hosting this episode, so Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's gonna go okay. Yeah, okay, (laughs) cool, here we go. Hello, and welcome to Murder Husbands, an episode-by-episode deep dive appreciation of the Brian Fuller-created series, Hannibal, based on characters from the novels by Thomas Harris. We are Popsicle, a group of like-minded creators who enjoy getting together to have big conversations for big stories. I am, as always, Kelly Sue Milano, and with me, as always, are my Popsicle co-hosts. Lisa K. Weber, my brilliant associate and artist of not only our book, Hex 11, but also some brilliant and timely pieces on her Instagram. Hey, Lisa. Hi. <laughs> Justin Penniston, the man's man, ladies' man, man about town, writer of the hard boiled webcomic Hunter Black and Netflix's Sonic Prime. Hey, Justin.
2: Hey, now, if you are listening to this, I am your man.
1: Claire <laughs> <laughs> oh, Thorne. The most unexpected hobbyist around. She is the creator of geeky cross-stitch patterns and author of a Geek's Guide to Cross Stitch Journeys in Space. Dun dun dun. Hi, Kelly, <laughs> and of course, Philip Kelly, the one and only procurer of pajama pants, creator of mind-bending TikTok dances, actor, comedian, writer, at dad.
3: I only have three pajama pants, so if people want to give to my Venmo, I will be happy to buy more to dance with.
1: I love it. Um, And this is a very special episode of Murder Husbands because we have our very first guest with us today, the inimitable Julian Mark Walker. Julian is a co-host of the Truly Remarkable Conspirituality podcast. He has also been a body worker and yoga teacher for 27 years, best yoga class in Los Angeles, like by it. far. I like it. He's also got years of study in psychology and science and is here to share his insights on Hannibal through this lens. Welcome, delighted,
0: Julian. Delighted to be here with you. Thanks for having me. Yay. Thank you for being here with us. That's, yeah,
1: that's, yes. we're so excited. So before we dive into discussion, Philip and Claire will take us through a quick recap of this week's episode, one of my absolute favorites, Sorbet.
3: When the BAU investigates a murder involving organ removal, Jack believes that the Chesapeake River may have resurfaced. How many times has he resurfaced now? But Will determines that the victim's murder is the result of an illegal organ harvesting accident.
4: Hannibal attends the opera and runs into a disgruntled former dinner party guest and Franklin a current patient. The latter becomes a topic of conversation in Hannibal's own therapy sessions with his haughty psychiatrist, Bedelia du Maurier. Oh, Jillian Anderson, yay. <laughs> the former becomes inspiration for...
3: A new series of murders as the BAU questioning their harvesting theories about the recent murders. While their work leads them to a very troubled EMT medical student who steals ambulances and practices on unsuspecting people. The questions of Miriam last, and the Chesapeake Ripper remain. The episode closes with Hannibal preparing a tremendous feast and warning all of his highbrow guests. Nothing here is vegetarian.
1: Mm-mm. Nothing is vegetarian in that feast. Um, this Forever. Is, ever. This is such a unique episode because we don't have our usual murder tableau um, and there's a lot of just different things going on. This really felt like a checkpoint episode for me. Um, One of those being is that we got our first glimpses of Hannibal as a predator in the last episode. And up until now, he's really come across as a really supportive, professional kind of part of the team. He's been compassionate, attentive, really helpful. He's a source of stability for Will. He's actively seducing Alana. He's guiding Jack through the experience of the impending death of his wife. But here we finally see him as a hunter and a killer. And finally, a very generous cannibal because he creates this massive beast. Um, And I think this is really interesting the way that they set him up for us as an audience to really kind of fall in love with him at the top and see him as a soft gentle guy before really driving it home in this episode. How has the subtle yet deeply brilliant unfolding of this character affected you? And I want to start with Julian because Mm. he's going to be talking to us about trauma mythology, and how they go together um, and the psychology of all of it. So Julian, what do you think?
0: Yeah, I mean, for me, because of my, the lens through which I look at things, the whole show is about psychology. The whole Hannibal universe is about psychology, right? Mm. This episode, is, is about psychology, it's about psychotherapy, right? Mm-hmm. So essentially it's like uh, a, a series of one-on-one psychological conversations uh, interspersed with Hannibal planning his dinner party, selecting victims that match recipes and then killing and cooking people before he serves the food. Um, I thought that just, just briefly here, um, the initial conversation right after they have found the, the, that, the dead body, Mm-hmm. Uh, in which Will Graham is basically saying, no, this is not Hannibal's MO. And Jack Horford says to him, how do you see the Ripper? And he says uh, that he's, he's one of those pitic- pitiful things, born in a hospital, uh, who they don't think will survive. They don't even bother putting him on a machine, but he does survive. Mm-hmm. And he looks to everyone to be normal, but he's mm-hmm. not. And that to me is sort of the entryway into What I'm fascinated with is, which is trauma and how extreme trauma can elicit extreme coping mechanisms and a fractured sense of self that appears one way to the world, as we'll hear later, uh, that you're in a person, uh, a a very well-tailored person suit, uh, but actually on the inside is something much more uh, primordial and terrifying.
5: Mm -hmm. Man, I'm I'm so glad you, you um, called out that line of dialogue because it's so beautiful. It's so beautifully delivered and it's just, yeah this this whole episode really felt like this really beautiful deep dive into Hannibal, mm-hmm. um, and particularly in his conversations with um, Bedelia about friendship mm-hmm. and loneliness which like we haven't really been given to understand that he necessarily feels those things, that he feels bonds to people mm-hmm. in this way. But I feel like, you know, we're kind of, we have kind of been leading up to this point where it's like um, he is starting to find Will more and more interesting yeah. <laughs> than he thought he would be. Definitely. <laughs> And, um, you know, in, in the way he talks with Franklin and Franklin wanting to be friends with him and him being like, Oh no, that's not what we're doing here. (laughs) But he's still insisting on like having this relationship with Bedelia and deepening a relationship with Will that, um, yeah, it's all just, it's all just fascinating. So even as he's doing these monstrous things, they are actually making me feel him and relate to him. Mm-hmm. In it's interesting ways. that you would bring this up, Lisa, because
1: I think that this episode is really the first time that we start to see the string that he has formed with Will in the moments when he realizes that Will is not coming for the appointment. Mm-hmm. And he checks the book again and yes, he looks at the yes. phone and he's starting, mm-hmm. you sort of start to see him feel this rejection and sadness and you know, I mean, I've done this in my years of dating when it's like, oh, wow, they're really not going to call, right? Mm -hmm. It's that moment and getting to even it's very, it's so brief, you know, they don't spend a lot of time there, but getting to see this side of animal is so amazing. Yeah,
0: Julian. I'd love to add something here. Sorry if I'm interrupting. But but those back to back therapy sessions are absolutely fascinating. And in in psychological terms, which some of you might know, we're talking about transference about the what the what the patient projects onto the therapist, And, Mm -hmm. and it's actually very reminiscent of the first season of Sopranos where Tony mm-hmm. Soprano is going to therapy and he's falling in love with the therapist and he's throwing money at the therapist and calling her a whore because she, right. she doesn't want to reciprocate his feelings. I have to spend money to get my time with you, right? And it's classic transfer and stuff where the therapist is so there for you and mm-hmm. so neutral so, you know, at, in, in the best mm-hmm. uh, incarnation of that, that that all of those fantasies come into play. And so we see uh, Hannibal dealing with that with Franklin and then we see him go to Bedelia and he's actually dressed down and he's mm-hmm. co- combed his hair very neatly. And then in the in next scene, he's back in his flamboyant clothing with his hair in his face and he's with Will. And it's clear that it's in sequence because they talk about having had a glass of wine. So I thought that was really mm-hmm. fascinating. All about these relational complexities. And then of mm-hmm. course, the rejection from Will. And so he has to go and give pursuit and, and then find Will in that dissociated kind of fantasy state. Fascinating. Mm-hmm.
4: Wow. It, uh julian bringing up what hannibal's wearing um it brings up (laughs) brings up for me something i was thinking about in this this episode now that we're you know kind of the halfway point of season one if you go back and watch the first interaction between will and hannibal and look at what hannibal is just his appearance it is and it speaks i think to a very specific you know i i i believe hannibal understands who will is and understands that he is curious about him and wants to find out what he is making will tick and so he shows up to this interaction with stubble and his hair is not slicked back it is kind of floppy and he looks and acts unsure of himself Mm. like you 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 see him trying to say the right things To not put Will off, but he's very unsure of himself. And of course, we've moved, we've moved on since then because now Hannibal, I think, has made a decision about this is, I'm I'm going to invest in this. I'm going to invest in what I think might be able be possible here um, with this person, and then we. We juxtapose it, I think in the, like you were talking about the therapy sessions with Franklin, that's some of the most painful scenes in this series to me, because Franklin is just like, I don't think this man lives ever out of a headspace of a desperately wanting to orchestrate friendships and through the, the act of trying to orchestrate the friendships it doesn't succeed like just really ever and it you feel that like you feel every moment of this guy's one note existence in that oh moment my God. the uh, cheese the cheese <laughs> oh, oh the I ge- cheese. cheese he's researching. say the cheese, cheese. <laughs> the, the he's Michael- been
5: yeah stalking
4: hannibal to cheese stores and then researching cheese history and <laughs> it's del- uh but i feel it i feel that a lot i i it's it's amazing and 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 setting it up next to hannibal who is so much more sophisticated um but kind of essentially doing the same thing but you know in a very murdery um way which is fine
3: yeah yeah it's a much more exaggerated uh franklin's a much more exaggerated version of what hannibal is going through or at least he's not good at hiding it and that's um, uh, th- that person suit that we talk about it. I was thinking about it while watching the episode last night is how well tailored is that? Like how much do we see of what Hannibal is doing is the, the person suit. I, when we see um, Gillian Anderson and then the scene later we hear that Han- the moment Hannibal decided to become a therapist was when he started going to see a therapist. Was that so that he could emulate what a therapist be like because you see in his mannerisms a lot of Gillian Anderson's mannerisms the sort of straight the sort of very well uh dressed um very classic like he's already taken on a lot of who Gillian Anderson is to be his own therapist like what I I don't I after seeing that scene I don't feel like this was always Hannibal Lecter's persona is the one that we're Mm. seeing right now I Mm. feel like this is a very specific Mm. suit that he's put on to be a therapist Um, it's that emulation but there are moments in this episode, like when Hannibal uh, uh, brings out the bottle of beer that's mm-hmm. been put in a wine, where there's genuine excitement that he's sharing this with her. Like, and I feel that so genuinely and that, that, that moment just stuck with me because there's, that, there's a sincerity there mm-hmm. um, in his excitement to share with her. And you wanna be tricked into believing that that's genuine. But by the end of the episode, it's not how well is that suit tailored mm-hmm. that that could appear genuine without it being genuine. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I mean uh, Kelly Sue, I mean, you, you said it, this is like, this is a mid-season episode. It's so yeah. well-structured within the season to be a turning point of right. how we see Hannibal and what we're viewing Hannibal to be. Um, and this is really Hannibal's episode and, and everything from his performance to the editing is very precise. Uh, going mm-hmm. back and forth between the, the uh, uh, recipes to the, uh, the Rolodex, Rolodex of names, the way mm-hmm. it's edited. The first time they edited that, I was like, holy shit, that was fucking brilliant. I like lost yeah. it on my, i you know watching it. I was like, but it's precise in, in thought and yeah. effort, the editing, everything about this episode puts us in from the pull up through the, the throat of the opera singer to the zoom in on his ear and, and a shot of him crying, but it's lit differently. So is that not real? Is it how he wants to feel, but he can't feel? Like there are mm-hmm. so many things in this episode that are tricky in that element of how much of a person suit is this. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. This yeah. this was a this was a brilliant episode to me. Like this was like yeah. So yeah. I also just want to like note so far
5: yeah yeah yeah. I also just want to note like the um that like you know this being an episode that's really all about Hannibal. That's really kind mm-hmm. of like digging into Hannibal more. And like his kind of playing around with these like connections with people is Mm. also, I mean, I think it's the first time he slips just enough for Will in the, in the final moments to see him like in the back of the ambulance and start Mm -hmm. maybe putting things together and become suspicious. Like the way Will looks at Hannibal in the ambulance, first of Mm -hmm. all,
4: (laughs) wow fiery yeah
5: well you you, you have to think you have to think that will
4: is running his little you know mindscape thing Uh
1: yeah to some degree
5: yeah absolutely Mm
1: -hmm. yeah well and the way that hannibal looks back at him
2: (sighs) lisa is getting dangerously close to clearing me there with that
1: Uh Uh-oh, Justin, let's hear
2: it. Well, I mean, you know, the the, the point has been made several times that this is a mid-season episode, and more than that, this is the mid-season episode. Mm -hmm. This is the very midpoint of the season. Mm -hmm. And the midpoint of a story is when the stakes change, when the nature of the story changes, when the hero discovers something that changes what what his or her goals are. Mm -hmm. Um, and indeed, it's at the very midpoint of the episode that we are truly treated to Hannibal as predator, to mm-hmm. Hannibal as the Chesapeake killer. The what? midpoint of the episode happens like almost exactly at the point that he starts going through that Rolodex and mm-hmm. you know chopping shit up. Yeah. It's, you know, and so heretofore we've had a show that is about Hannibal the manipulator. Mm-hmm. And even though we've been aware that Hannibal is killing until last episode, we didn't really have it on screen.
1: Mm.
2: We weren't really treated to, I mean, they were talking about the Chesapeake killer for a little while before they actually confirmed that it was Hannibal. Mm -hmm. Um, But here our entire perception of Hannibal changes, Mm. you know, as you say, we are now, Where, you know, before we saw him as a manipulator, now we see him as a hunter and killer of people. And we also see why. Now, we know, you know, Phil asked the question, you know, are Hannibal's tears in the concert hall, are they genuine? Or is Mm -hmm. that just his person suit? Mm -hmm. Um, And the thing about Hannibal is, Hannibal is an aesthete. Hannibal, Mm -hmm. he really... We have seen him take genuine pleasure in, you know, stimulation of his senses, particularly through food, when he's alone, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And it's not a huge stretch to think that he can be moved by art in ways that he cannot be moved by people. Sure. Mm -hmm. But the question remains because Hannibal was being watched in that moment and he knew he was being watched.
4: Well, and I think that's the key element is that we, we can't enjoy this story, we can't be invested in the story, that's the right word, unless we are led to believe that Hannibal has some ability to have honest somethings, emotions, mm-hmm. you know, right? But we also have to, with all of the other characters as well, we have to measure the degree to which we think that is honest or not. Um, And we're never going to know that that's the Uh incessant part of the Hannibal character is you never really can trust at any moment. He, I think he definitely does. Like, you know, Justin says, has those moments in and of himself, by himself. How many of those are really, I mean, even by himself, how many of those are really truly honest or just Mm -hmm. part of a construct that he's built for himself over time?
1: (laughs) Uh,
4: You know, how... I I don't know Um, before we leave this question can I just um, talk about how the the whole menu building scene you know going through the Rolodex and the the menu cards I have a hard time getting like mac and cheese and like chicken nuggets sometimes like put on my table at night like Mm -hmm. how how much more like how much time does it take to put together a, like probably seven or whatever course meal, but also have to butcher and, you know, like kill and butcher all of the things that you, you have to do. And you're, you're pretty much by yourself for most of that work. I mean, you're not, you can't bring in the catering crew to help him butcher the, <laughs> the stuff. So I just want to give a shout out to Hannibal's time management skills because
1: mm-hmm. that seems impossible. But
4: well, I I'd also am not. Of
2: a spreadsheet.
1: I'm not giving him any <laughs> kudos because I'm also like this. Um, you don't have a toddler. <laughs> oh, are
0: not. Kicking so for I'm a toddler. not impressed. But it is <laughs> yeah, exactly it's, Julian. It's the absolute epitome of the organized serial killer, right? Incredibly, incredibly right. organized, controlling, like all the way through. And then this is such a such a powerful expression of that, and to kill all those people in such a short period of time and not get caught. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, well, just I, before I
4: love. I'm sorry, Justin, I'm just going to say I love also the implication that he is disciplined enough. Like he he hunts the rude, right? They're his prey, uh-huh. but he is disciplined enough to build a Rolodex of them to use them when he wants to use them. Yeah. Like, yeah, they're just, you know,
1: pre-ordered basically. Totally. Yeah.
4: Anyway.
2: It also makes you wonder if particular recipes correspond to particular types of rudeness and in particular incidents. Like I wish we had seen gotten a little bit more of why these people were chosen, mm-hmm. you know? Well, I'll and also, can we one. talk
1: about how he keeps them in a Rolodex?
2: <laughs> oh, that's amazing. <laughs> you know what
1: I mean? Like how normal and not like, somebody would see a Rolodex in present day and be like, oh, no one would ever, <laughs> I mean, you know what I, do you know what I'm saying? It's like, with handwritten recipes, with handwritten, yeah, exactly. And I'm sitting here being like, this guy knows what's up. He's not keeping, you know, these aren't contacts in a phone. These are business cards in a Rolodex that someone would look at and be like, well, oh, that's cute from a simpler time.
2: And before you know what I mean? forget, before we get too far away from it, I just wanted sure. to point out something that was interesting again about the writing of this show because Julian mm. pointed out uh, Will's description of Hannibal or of the Chesapeake killer, you yes. know, as, you know, an unwanted thing in a hospital that didn't get connected to the life-saving machines. Mm. And that is taken word for word from Red Dragon. Mm-hmm. Ooh. and that is where but in, in that case in that context will is describing hannibal to someone right you know specifically so yeah it's all I
1: mean, so fascinating there's so many i mean it's one of the reasons why we wanted to build this entire podcast is because you could talk about the show ad nauseum and never oh. be nauseous unless you're actually watching the show in which case you're nauseous often probably unless you're a psycho killer for now we're going to take a quick break we're going to come at you with some sweet messages about cool stuff, from sweet mm-hmm. messengers, and then we'll be back to talk about more Hannibal. Hannibal. Welcome back. We are continuing our discussion alongside our wonderful guest, Julian. Um, and we were just discussing how this is really a deep dive into Hannibal as the mid-season episode, into this character. But as we are lifting the veil on Hannibal, um, there's also a lot to be said about what we're learning about the surrounding characters as well. Um, Will is having these creepy sunshiny dreams <laughs> about being Abigail's father, um, even though he murdered her actual dad We have Jack who is tormented by dreams of Miriam Lass, though he had no problem sending a trainee into the field out of needing more hands on the Ripper case. Alana seems to be falling for Hannibal, even though it's her job to profile fucking serial killers. (laughs) (laughs) Like we're beginning to see beneath everyone's person suit as Bedelia de Moray so brilliantly puts it, not just Wills and not just Hannibals. So what are we learning about the good guys and how is it informing the story at this point point? we think we'll you, start we can oh, start oh go ahead claire i was
4: just gonna say i think you put it really well that alana is literally yeah. trying to profile fucking serial killers
1: <laughs> she and she's doing a great job yeah. we got to give her credit where credit's due um but julian we can start with you again since you are our esteemed guest
0: Oh, goodness. I'm, I'm not sure about about the question entirely. I, I was I'm so mm. distracted by the fact that I believe this is the first time we've ever seen Bedelia.
1: Yes. Is yes, yes. Case?
0: Yes, correct. And, and I'm I'm distracted also by the fact of, of of what Philip said earlier, which is that here's Hannibal perhaps taking notes, right, and learning how to play the role of a therapist, mm-hmm. and he has the glass of wine, and then he goes back and he offers, or maybe he doesn't offer, will a glass of wine, but he he says this is what normally happens, right, and which mm-hmm. is, kind of fits with that with that hypothesis, yes. and the fact that uh, the whole session that we're, the part of it that we see is so uncomfortable. And it's very clear that Bedelia doesn't want to be there. She says, "You refuse to accept my retirement, and I'm, you're the only patient that I have." So that that really stuck with me. Uh, mm. The moment the moment in the kitchen uh, between Hannibal and Alana is is very electric and warm and real feeling and, and mm-hmm. I and and now I'm thinking well he really loves a challenge because she's profiling fucking serial killers and <laughs> here he is going can I get one over on her? Yeah. <laughs> so those <laughs> are my thoughts that. for now. I mean clearly we're 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 always worried about what's gonna happen to Will, right? He's he's disintegrating mm-hmm. before our eyes. Um yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
5: yeah absolutely. Yeah. Oh Lisa please oh no I just um I mean I I in this show, my heart explodes regularly for Will. Mm -hmm. Like, I know we spend a lot of time talking about Hannibal, but like, I really care a lot about Will. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, I just, I, I, so it's like, as Hannibal kind of like draws him closer and closer, it's, I'm always like, oh no, but also, yay. (laughs) Like, at least he's making some kind of connection and maybe in this weird way, Hannibal will end up protecting him, um, you know, and like taking care of him. (laughs) As a friend. Exactly. (laughs) As a friend or maybe more. And um, I mean, even down to like, I mean, I noted how much I would love it if Hannibal handed me a glass of rosé. Oh my God. It's one of my You're favorite like, parts Rose, of this situation. Thanks. Oh my gosh! Um, when he
1: says, "I think something pink," I'm like,
5: "Something okay. pink? Pe- like, oh, okay, I'm yeah, I'm done." I'm Did you just go ahead and like make this for me? Feels yeah. that way sometimes. Feels that way. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I will say, it's also kind of funny, like what the kind of couple times you've mentioned Alana in these questions, and how like mm. Hannibal is seducing her, and she's maybe falling for him. Mm. At this point in the show on my first watch through, mm. I was so in the space of like um Will and Alana and Ooh. going in that direction that I always saw these kind of early moments of her and Hannibal as just like mm. flirting. Um, mm. not that it was necessarily like an active pursuit or that she was necessarily like, oh fall in love with Hannibal um oh that that was my Alana reading I think Justin's is still better (laughs) Um, but it's but I I mean I only just kind of like I but it that's that's I mean that's the nature of the show is that it's Mm. like we can see all of these events play out in different ways and see the characters relate to each other in different ways based on our own experiences Mm, mm -hmm. and um so I don't know, as far as like seeing behind everyone's person suit, it's it's good. This is the point in the show where we really should be starting to see the humanity yeah. behind the person suits, you know? Mm-hmm. Because we call these person suits, but it's like on the inside, that's where the real human is. So right. it's, it's it's we're at a perfect point to start seeing all of these things right now. We're,
4: to. We're talking about Alana and whether or not she should be savvy about who Hannibal is. And I think it's interesting to remember that she's known him the longest mm-hmm. of anybody in the story. And I don't know exactly what that means, but they clearly have a, a professional, um, mm-hmm. more than a professional friendship that has developed. So there's a lot of work that Hannibal has he has been willing to invest a connection with her Mm -hmm. in a connection with her for a considerable period of time. And I I think that's interesting. Um, I want to go back to what Philip was saying a little bit about, um, Hannibal learning how to be present himself as a psychiatrist from Bedelia Mm. in a way, because I, this episode in the introduction of Jillian Anderson, which just a blows my um, mind to begin with Jillian Anderson. I just so satisfying that she's in this series. I love Mm -hmm. it. Um, But I, like, like we've said, she's, she doesn't, she she's retired quote unquote. She doesn't want Hannibal to be there like Julian said. And Mm -hmm. yet they're meeting in her home. And her the her presentation of herself in her own home is one of just pristine uh it is just flawless. And mm-hmm. it is, it is, you know, not business casual, flawless. It is, it is like right up there. And I I can't help but wonder, number one, we're we're led to wonder, okay, where where and how does their relationship start? Mm-hmm. how much does she know about Hannibal she's his therapist that would imply mm-hmm. that she knows everything that he's willing to divulge to her mm. um she's clearly connected to him in a way that she doesn't feel she can say no to him right mm-hmm. like and there's so many vibes being given off in the middle of right. that I don't I wonder that whether or not her way of presenting herself in these therapy sessions with him Mm -hmm. is a way of matching what he brings, what she knows of Mm. him and and kind of an armor that she puts on in order to be as inscrutable as possible Mm. in front of him, Mm -hmm. knowing that if she's not, he's going to use, well, he is anyway, right? Like, yeah. It's an attempt to have some sort of defense against something that you can't have any defenses against in a way, but I don't know. know,
2: Let me ask you this. What circumstance can you think of where your client can defy your decision to retire? Can you think of any circumstance under which you would do that other than being scared of someone? Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. I feel like in this episode, they really tell us things directly, in a way that we don't have to dig for them. You know, mm-hmm. like Hannibal and Alana are, you know, in this episode in particular. There's been some flirty, flirty going on before, but
5: mm-hmm.
2: you know that could be just chalked up to familiarity. You know what I mean? But now, yeah. like, there's talk of affairs, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and the question is asked, he "Why have we done this a before?" A specific
1: beer for her and mm-hmm. says it's your reserve.
2: Yeah. But right. that's not
1: something you just do for anybody.
2: No, it's not. <laughs> but why is he doing it for her and why now? I mean yeah. the, the question is straight up asked. Yeah. Why haven't we done this before? And mm-hmm. I think the answer is given in the same conversation. Maybe it's because you and Will have shown interest in each other. And you share a pathology. Yeah, you know mm-hmm. like he's mm-hmm. basically straight up saying what's Will's is mine, you know. Yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> you know I'm going to take this you know, and aren't they both
0: kind of his therapist?
1: Yes, yeah.
2: Yep. On a certain level,
0: In a yeah. Way, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's weird. It's like the parents,
1: and mm-hmm.
2: Uh, mm-hmm. this
0: episode—it's like
1: the parents, Ooh.
2: incestuous parents. <laughs> <laughs> and, and this episode, especially once Kelly Sue says, you know, even though she profiles fucking serial killers, it kind of reveals to me that that Alana's defining trait is that of all the characters on the show. She's the one who never thinks she's wrong.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: Right. It never mm-hmm.
2: occurs to her that she's wrong. Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah. And mm-hmm. once and again, think, props to Hannibal's time management skills. Cause not only is he butchering seven for seven course meals, but now he's brewing beer for Alana. Like
2: the vast majority of time in brewing is just spent with something in a barrel. He's yeah. yeah, he's you know. <laughs> and I think and he pr- we can he go profiled. out on a limb
1: and say that he probably wasn't. <laughs> planning to do that for her. (laughs)
4: And I, I say that, I say that humorously, but once again, Mm -hmm. think about the, the preparation and intention that that says about Hannibal. If he's, Mm -hmm. if he is creating a, or or fostering a, a purposeful relationship with Alana Mm -hmm. for an end goal, Mm -hmm. he he's, you know, he's got a brewing schedule that goes with it.
1: That's amazing. Totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: I mean, um, he does straight listen, out I say don't... to Alana. Oh, he does straight out awesome. say to Alana that his interest in Will began before he met Will because Alana had spoken to him, or not so much, not enough about Will. I think she piqued his interest in the first place.
1: Yeah, it's and it's a Alana's glorious, fault. it's a glorious triangle that we're looking at here. Hmm. And you know, I give Alana a lot of shit, but I want to take the time to say, if I was in her position. <laughs> and Will is coming at me from the left and Hannibal is coming at me from the right I probably would forget whatever the fuck I went to school for yeah
2: It's fair, because you'd be I walking wanna... around like I got some game. Look at these studs. <laughs> you what? How could I and not be I... right about everything? I'm, exactly. right. uh, I'm <laughs> doing
1: <laughs>
5: something right. <laughs> I've got super
1: sweaty, ethereal, wounded emo over here. Mm-hmm. I have very well dressed, brewing a beer for me psychologist you... over here. I'm attracting the right. full
4: spectrum. You <laughs> exactly. got it all.
1: Yeah. Um, and this is a perfect time to transition into our most favorite segment a Corpse, where we talk about exactly that. So I'm going to hand it off to Justin, who's going to take us through this week's murder tableau, which is an interesting one.
2: Well, this was one of the more challenging ones for me. You know, um, in that we're not really treated to an in-your-face tableau the way we are some yep. of the others, like you know, the Wound Man or oh. um, or the Field Kabuki. Sure. Um, we do when we see. Okay, so we're only reading Hannibal in this episode goes through a series of murders to set up his dinner party, um, and it's kind of interesting that you know, on some level, you're forced to ask. Does he go on crime sprees because, you know, some, you know, Audrey from Little Shop of Horrors asks him to throw a dinner party? Is that is that what sets off, you know? One of the
0: donors at the
2: opera. Exactly. <laughs> oh, also, it's important to note that that opera was, let me check my notes, it was, quote, A Concert for Hunger Relief. Yes. Boom. Yes.
4: (laughs)
5: All right. I noted that too, and I was like, LOL. (laughs) They're just effing with us now. Exactly. Um, Mm -hmm.
2: We're only really treated to one murderous tableau regarding the dinner party, and that is the body of Andrew Caldwell. Uh, The medical examiner who talks down to Hannibal while conducting an insurance investigation of sorts, asking him Mm. questions about infection and the truth will come out and don't lie and blah blah blah. Mm. Um, Caldwell is found cut in two, uh, the same organs taken from him that were taken or attempted to be taken from the dead guy found in the beginning of the episode in the hotel.
1: Mm.
2: He's also found, quote, sitting across from himself on a school bus. (laughs) Last week, I, laugh, I made sorry. the point uh, that the Chesapeake Killer episodes are killings, rather seem to be motivated. You know, at least I thought mm. by the teaching of lessons. Mm. And I can't help but note Ooh. that he's bisected and left on a school bus. Mm-hmm.
5: You like know, taking him and to school.
2: <laughs> yeah, like he, he was like, "Oh, you're gonna talk down to me yeah. about something that I know something about. Uh-huh. I'm gonna school you, buddy." Um, yeah.
4: Well, look at yourself, he's, he's seated very pointedly across from himself. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. a, you know, look to yourself, don't be, you know, grilling me
1: about honesty. Yeah, that's definitely a mind your business
2: moment. Mm-hmm. But it's also, yeah. you know, Hannibal, this also speaks to his efficiency because mm-hmm. he also chooses the organs that were featured in the previous murder to mm-hmm. muddy the waters. Yes. And it also helps fill out the menu at the dinner party. The, he um, is killing three birds with one stone or killing three Caldwells with- you know, If
4: only he were killing yeah. birds. You
3: know. <laughs> yeah. The um, the editing in this sequence, when they cut from who takes a spleen to the spleen being blended, I think I cringed and laughed for about five minutes after that. It's, uh, <laughs> it's uh, some really powerful- really powerful editing, but the one, one of the things I got from these murders, um, you know, we're talking about the, the person suit and, and this actually with, um, uh, Lass is a murder. Lass, that her name, Lass. I'm already Mary talking Lass. Mary Mary Lass, Lass. Lass, Thank you. Is you get to see Hannibal murdering these two people without the person suit, the way he holds himself, the way he mm-hmm. walks before he's about to kill someone is very mm-hmm. terrifying and very different from how he holds himself when he's sitting in front of his own therapist or acting Mm. as a therapist. He is a a moving, he is a force of nature when he's Mm. moving in for the kill. Mm
1: -hmm. And
3: I feel like that's Hannibal um, without his person suit on about as close as we're ever going to see.
1: Oh, finish. Go ahead. Oh, no. It's just when he's killing
3: glass in the previous episode and the way he's holding her while Mm. he's like choking her out, there's Mm -hmm. like an almost like a love affair element to it. It yeah. felt like a he kissed her on the
2: head. it, it, it almost it, it, looked like it. Like, you know. yeah, mm-hmm. like he
3: didn't want to kill her. I don't think that was somebody he necessarily wanted to kill. Yes. So there was there was some sense of I'm sorry, I love you mm. uh element to it. I mean, mm-hmm. these are the moments that I think you see Hannibal without his human skin on. And we see that Absolutely. in this episode when he's walking at the the mm-hmm. do- the you know, this you know, yeah. This guy. Well, mm-hmm. and
1: I would love to to pose this question to you, Julian, especially because of your years of body work and the way that Trauma and these and personality and these things inform the movement of the body. Do you have anything to say about that? About how Cannibal switches into this very sort of predator, single focused, like it's almost like all of his systems align and harmonize, like he's an animal attacking.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's clearly a, there's clearly a physicality about that that Mads Mikkelsen is is uh, very brilliantly uh, devising, right? Like how mm-hmm. how what is the embodiment of this human being, depending on which, uh, in a way, which personality is dominant, right? Or, or, right. or how, how free he feels to fully just be his, his absolutely controlling murderous self. Mm. There, was a, there was a funny thing that jumped out at me. I wonder, I wonder if you folks noticed it, which is that in the forensics lab, mm. there were a couple shots where I was like, are those dead bodies draped in like shiny satiny or silky sheets? Like they had those Ooh. green coverings on them, and there would be moments where you would see, like it's clearly some kind of weird, rubbery sort of, you know, uh, s- s- sterile thing. But there right. were other moments where it was like, oh, th- these bodies are—they're kind of presented to us in an almost uh, a sensual way with this, mm. with this loft, like shiny covering. Mm-hmm. Mm. That is
1: interesting. really interesting. Yeah, yeah. I guess yeah I We did talk about that.
5: the we talk about the sensuality of the show a lot, um, mm-hmm. and and yeah, that's. That's another prime example mm-hmm. of like, yeah, there's a lot of sensuality given to dead bodies yeah, um, in this show. And yeah, yeah. That you was know, one of those times. There. <laughs> yeah. back
2: to what Phil was saying about, you know, when he brought sure. Miriam last back up, you know, and the way that Hannibal attacks her is kind of different than the way he does everything else. And I mean, at, at the top of this episode, Will says again, as he said before, about mm-hmm. the Chesapeake, Chesapeake uh, Ripper's victims, mm-hmm. he thought these people were pigs, which is exactly what he said mm-hmm. about the Minnesota Shrike copycat referring to Cassie Boyle, when she's mm-hmm. left in the field, you know, and a, that is a cue for us that we're talking about the same person, you know, even though yeah. he hasn't put that together yet. Yeah. Um, and, you know. There is no tableau, at least not until last episode, for Miriam Lass, you know, Mm -hmm. like she was never disrespected Mm -hmm. because she wasn't treated with disrespect because, if anything, Hannibal respected her, Yeah, you know, and didn't want to kill her. That was not his goal. mm -hmm. It was a murder of, you know, necessity, not a murder of, you know, pathology. To humiliate Jack.
4: Yeah. Well, and I think, yeah. I think that the, where we're really brought as an audience in this mid season point in this halfway point is very directly into the understanding that, because, you know, up until now as an audience, we've, we all place ourselves in the mindset of the victim. At least I hope most of us do and not the killer. So, much. Yeah. but, but in doing that, you're always asking yourself, well, what could I do to make myself safe? How can I. Mm-hmm. how can I be not, not be the rude person? How can I, how can I feel okay and secure mm. moving forward in these episodes? And this is the point at which we realized that, that exactly as I think uh, Justin or Philip said that, that Hannibal has multiple, or maybe it was Julian. It was one of the boys, obviously <laughs> um, in my mind, I don't remember well. Um, but, but saying that, you know, Hannibal does have a multiple psychopath personality he has different motivations at different Mm -hmm. points in time he is capable of killing someone and Mm -hmm. respecting them and kind of loving them at the same same time and uh, there's no safe place there's there's nothing you can do that puts you outside of the motivations of this of the danger Mm
1: -hmm. in this
4: show and it's relentless and that's you know, to some degree, what all of the other characters are trying to do, I think, um, is kind of a side, you know, story in this is, is positioning themselves in a way Alana is subconsciously perhaps trying to position herself as someone that Hannibal would love and be attracted to and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it's, there's just no safe
1: place. It's true. And I think that going back to, um, what Justin was saying and bring it sort of back to this this dinner table and he's talking about, you know, he sees these rude people as pigs at one point in the kitchen. He's talking about how his butcher stocked sow's blood and that if you blend it fast enough mm-hmm. this clear liquid drifts to the top and then he says it's perfect for making the tomatoes sweeter. Mm. <laughs> We know it's not pig's blood. <laughs> we know we didn't get it from his butcher. Mm-hmm. And the precise way that he's using it is to say, oh, good, I'm gonna make these tomatoes really sing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just one of those moments for me watching this show where I'm like, they so brilliantly show how deranged, this person is. In so glad you a... mentioned that moment. Oh yeah. Please, because that moment
0: is it's it's a perfect sorry it's 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 a perfect companion piece to the moment with Alana.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It's, it's in the kitchen. He's excited. I think he's maybe mm-hmm. wearing the same red shirt, or I'm, I'm yes. about that. And he's having a moment with each of them in which he's sort of almost a little yeah. bit more openly sharing his excitement and bonding with them because he's talking to Will. Yeah.
1: No, it's. it's uh, and I mean, you're entirely correct. And I and I, and I, and I love that. that. Same reason. Go ahead. I Lisa. love that
5: point too, just because it's like, it is this connective power of food, right? Like mm-hmm. when people gather, they tend to gather in a kitchen, mm-hmm. and like when people eat together, it's this it's this bonding ritual, mm-hmm. and um, so yeah, like the the fact that the tableau kind of is this dinner party, where he's kind of bringing everyone in you know he's yep. bringing everyone to his table to eat his food which is people <laughs> and kind of bringing them into his world in this way
1: yeah <laughs> and alana is seated right next to him at that table everybody else mm-hmm. is faceless clapping right mm-hmm. but then they do the wide shot and she's right there right there so There's you're the like yeah. this is all perfectly
3: orchestrated. I, I, do, I do want to quick take note, make note of the, uh, he does have like a maid helping him, and yeah. she's yeah. dressed in that. Well, she's yeah, she's a sous moment. chef, I think. She's, yeah. She's yeah okay. There's, I, I wasn't cook. sure. Yeah. She was dressed in like that sort of classic white and black, yep. so I, yeah, did, but, I didn't yeah, know exactly she was what a, she
2: was. She was kitchen, kitchen help. She was either
3: a sous chef or a prep yeah. cook. Yeah. I thought it was very mm-hmm. interesting that he does bring people in to help.
4: Yeah, if he ended up putting that whole dinner together by himself without any catering assistance whatsoever, I would have been like,
1: where yeah, was about to, she was about this. to Tony Stark Hannibal. That would, that would
4: have been the moment. I'm like, that just not.
2: And we, we, yeah. we can't have that because she's pretty much Tony Stark's Jack. We, and we can't have two Tonys in one show. We can't, it's we insane. really
1: can't. Um, so beautiful mid-season episode, such beautiful discussion. Um, and now we're going to turn it over to Lisa to talk to us about her recommendations, which is something we do every episode. Um, if people enjoyed sorbet, Lisa, what might they also enjoy?
2: bro <laughs> Tasty
1: gelato. <laughs> I was hoping y'all were going to pick that one up.
5: Um, no, I, um, <clears throat> I have been going down the path lately of existential vampires in fiction. Ooh. Um, <laughs> it all started with the announcement that, um, the vampire chronicles were going to be turned into a tv show
2: and mm. i was like wow
5: i haven't read those books in like Forever. so many yeah. years i was in high school the last time i read them so i was like well let me read those again as an adult and oh my god i'm obsessed they're still so good but good in a different it. way because i'm a grown-ass woman now um and so it like so to kind of like go into this you know i mean vampires also eight people. (laughs) Um, uh, But so, I mean, first of all, Vampire Chronicles, awesome. Do it. If you haven't done it, do it. All the books are fantastic. Um, And there's even a Brian Fuller connection in that there's like this lore of him as a teenager tracking down Anne Rice's home phone number (laughs) and um, calling her to pitch his idea for an interview with a vampire movie. And they talked for like two hours and she ended up wow. putting him in touch with her agent. <laughs> Amazing. So Brian Fuller is also a fan of Vampire Chronicles, if that <laughs> means anything to you. Amazing. Um, but then, I mean, just kind of being on this existential vampire tip, I recently rewatched the movie. Um, it's a Jim Jarmusch movie from a handful of years ago called Only Lovers Left Alive. Hmm, um, yeah. It has, um, it starts Tilda Swinton and Tom Hiddleston as a couple of ancient vampires who are dealing with like their own impending doom. And um, it kind of dovetails nicely with the whole thing. We're mostly taking place in Detroit, this dying city. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's just beautiful. It's a beautiful, beautiful movie about pretty vampires that are sad and tortured. It's my favorite kinds. (laughs) Mine too. So those are my my vampire recommendations. I love it. I love it. I totally thought you were gonna go the route of Interview with the Vampire. Did you see they just
2: cast Grey Worm from Game of Thrones? Yes, he's
1: gonna be great. He's gonna be great.
2: I was, I was stoked to see that.
1: I was stoked to see that. All right. So we have Lisa's recommendations. Julian, do you have anything that you would like to recommend to our listeners based on the themes in Sorbet?
0: I would say the two things that I that I am most excited to recommend are the movie The Cell. If you've never seen it, the Tarsum Tarsum Sing, mm-hmm. I yeah. believe his first yeah. film, yes. because it matches so well with the book. His second film mm-hmm. uh, was The Fall, the first one. Yes, yeah, The Fall yeah. is the first. Which oh, is I'm also so there. in love with The Fall. Yeah. Um, I love it too. But it, it pairs so perfectly with my favorite book of all time, which is called The Inner World of Trauma, which is a sort of mm. Jungian meets object relations masterpiece about exactly okay. the sorts of things that we've been discussing. So The Inner World of Trauma by Donald Kalshed and The Fall.
1: And The Fall. Oh, yes. All beautiful. Did I, I love
0: Sorry, the cell. cell. The cell, yeah, just because it fits so well with all of this. Yeah.
1: It really does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah for real. Beautiful, also beautiful recommendations. I'm gonna check out all of these because I have not read Vampire Chronicles. Though I've seen <laughs> the cell, I will definitely um hit up that book too, for sure. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, beautiful recommendations for a beautiful episode and a beautiful discussion about this beautiful show. Um That brings us to the end of our time together. And before we end, I wanna say a very special thanks to Julian for joining us. Thank
0: Um, you, Julian. My pleasure. Thank Thank you for being here. Oh my goodness, how much do I owe you?
1: Oh my goodness. Well, we (laughs) will definitely need to have you back on. And so for sure, check out Julian's podcast, Conspirituality. It is amazing. They are doing incredible work out here. And also a lot of really fascinating, just psychological ideas and discussion there. Very, very, very aligned with kind of what we do here on this show in a way. Well, um, where else can listeners-
4: need, Philip is you, uh, definitely Julian. gonna need Julian back on as we get closer <laughs> to the end of the series because he's gonna need some- going need that support. Hope, I think he's gonna need that
1: support. <laughs> anyway. um, where else can our listeners connect with you, Julian?
0: Well, cause spirituality.net is, is the podcast website. I have a website for all things sort of more yoga and mind-body related, which is julianwalkeryoga.com. And I'm on all the social things.
1: Woohoo! Yeah. Awesome. Um, you can listen to our other podcasts, both with Fanbase Weekly and right here, Popsicle, on Spotify, Apple, and where all podcasts are found. Please subscribe and give us a follow at Popsicle Pod on all social media platforms and sign up for our free newsletter at popsiclepod.com. <laughs> that is P O P F K L P O D. And let's see where we can find everybody else this here. Phil, where can we find you?
3: I am at Philip Creates everywhere. Uh, help me buy some new pajama bottoms.
1: Fantastic, Justin.
2: Uh, I post a new page in my hard fantasy webcomic Hunter Black every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at hunterblackcomics.com. You can keep up with me at justinpeniston.com or on Twitter at hunterblackcomx.
1: Awesome, Claire.
4: I am at Unexpected Hobby on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and you can find my book, *A Geek's Guide to Cross Stitch Journeys in Space*, on the Fanbase website, Fanbase Press website, um, also Amazon for that matter. So
1: there you go.
5: Awesome popcorn, Lisa. <laughs> um you can find hex 11 the book kelly sue and i make together at hexcomics.com um, and you can find me and the art that i make and the stuff that i do on the social medias l cat weber
1: awesome and i am kelly sue says on all of the medias that's it until <laughs> next time happy hunting This has been a Popsicle podcast production.